If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Just lift your eyes up, let your eyes rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get tired. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Nalaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. February 11, 2015. Tonight on New Abolitionist Radio, we will be joined by Dawn Renee, the self-esteem queen, an educator, activist, poet, and abolitionist, among other things. Dawn will break down for us the situation in Atlanta, California, a town facing a $2.6 million deficit, and they are considering building a jail to house L.A.'s county inmates. This will be their fourth prison in a town of less than 35,000 citizens. Also, in recent abolitionist news, plaintiffs in two separate cases filed federal class action lawsuits against Ferguson and nearby Jennings, Missouri, over what they allege are municipal court systems that essentially operate as modern-day debtors' prisons, targeting poor African Americans for arrest and incarceration. Also, the new abolitionist team will tie those stories together to a similar finding in New York Times article detailing how jails have become warehouses for the poor, mentally ill, and drug addicted. And in a recent Slate.com article, Fordham Law School professor uh, John Pfaff thinks he knows why so many Americans are incarcerated. His scientific findings have nothing to do with slavery. The new abolitionist will have to take back control of that narrative. Our abolitionists in profile will be Carolyn Still Wiley Anderson, physician and educator, 1849 to 1919, and our exonerated profile is John Conover, who spent two years in jail after being falsely accused of killing his neighbor with a baseball bat. You can expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find archived podcasts at newabolitionistsradio.blogspot.com. We invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1530-881-1400. Access code is 549-032-POUND. Just press star six and one to queue up from the conference line. Um, it's with a sad heart that I just want to start out by saying we lost a family member, a former co-host of New Abolitionist Radio, Shante Legacy Leonard. Uh, her and I have known each other for a decade and a half. She's always been a part of everything we've done, including this radio program right here. And uh, with heavy hearts, we just want to let you know that she has passed due to cancer, and uh, we miss her. 
What's happening, Johanan? What's happening, Scotty? How you guys doing? You see how I'm doing. I'm broken up over here. Right, right. Yes, rest in peace to our sister. Uh, was here before I came in, and, and how I actually was introduced to the program was uh, uh, through, you know, through you all's efforts. So rest in peace to her, and uh, we know that she's in a better better situation, a better place, and we're going to keep the fight going in uh, in her honor most definitely. One of the last things she did was this program, and she had to stop because the cancer was just taking too much of it out of it. Right. Um. Again, like Max said, you know, she had uh, been with us when we first started this program a little over two years ago, and uh, she was definitely passionate about her abolitionism i mean to be a host on this program you have to certainly believe that uh 21st century slavery and human trafficking exists and was not abolished by the 13th amendment and she fully understood that and she put in as much work as she could in educating people on this issue and agitating for into modern day slavery and human trafficking. And so certainly um, she will be missed. But as we salute this fallen comrade, you know, the fight continues. We will carry on. Amen, man. Yeah, I was just telling a friend recently, I, I'm not digging 50 so much right now. I'm losing too many friends and 60 might not be any better. So I don't know, man. A certain age when you fight. start seeing them drop. Got a fight while it's still called today. Man, we got a hell of a show lined up today, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the interview with Dawn. Uh, Dawn and I are, uh, you might as well say, we're brother and sister. You know, we go way back. She's an original founding member of Prismatic Dreams back in 1999. Her and I came to abolitionism together, too, but in different ways, you know, because she works within the child sex trafficking, trafficking industry a lot, and she mentors young teen girls. And she helps to get them out of those lifestyles, like literally going and rescuing young girls, man. And, you know, I'm on the uh, spectrum with the legalized slavery, but it's been a really beautiful relationship over the years. And we've seen a lot of things happen, uh, almost like, you know, witnessing the future unfold, things that we expected occurred. Uh, Before we um, get started and uh, bring in our guests, I do just want to uh, also inform people that there has been an action alert that has been uh, posted in the group Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery, uh, also posted on New Abolitionist Radio, the Facebook page, and um, of course I posted it to Political Prisoner uh, Radio because one of our political prisoners is being denied um, treatment for cancer. Uh, actually, you know, we just talked about losing legacy to uh, mm-hmm. cancer. And so now we got Russell Maroon Schultz, a former uh, member of the Black Panther Party, um, who is and I'm pulling up the information now, but he was diagnosed with with cancer and he was told that it was an aggressive form of cancer and that they needed him to start his treatment right away. And thus far, the prison officials are denying him that treatment for prostate cancer, which is illegal, which is against the law, you know. And, and so, um, yeah, it's saying he was a political prisoner and former Black Panther, uh, Russell Maroon Schultz, and it gives his number, his prisoner number, was informed that he had prostate cancer on December 9, 2014. Prison medical staff have not provided any treatment to date. Cancer does not wait for the prison bureaucracy. Maroon's health, his life, and his rights are being violated every moment he is denied necessary 
uh, cancer treatment. And so, uh, uh, you can go to any of the pages that I mentioned. It is posted as a note on political prisoner, uh, radio's Facebook page. And so, uh, they are asking people to call. They provide you a script. As we always tell people, when you make these calls, be polite. Even though you may be angry at the injustice that's going on, you still need to be respectful, but yet firm when you're talking to prison staff. And so they provide, you know, a couple of talking points for you to bring up. And again, you know, this is against the law. This is a violation of his human rights. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why we do this program is because it's just all kind of, of all kind of evil things that are going on in this country and i get sick and tired of hearing people talk about what's going on over here or going on over there uh when we got a very old evil uh happening right here on on this continent so yeah i just wanted to get that out i put it up on the new abolitionist radio facebook page so uh make sure you listening go ahead and uh use that actionable information right on i was discussing with max before the program i mean having lost um Brother Phil here so recently too, and then knowing what we went through last year with uh with uh Imam Jamal El Amin, uh H. Rap Brown, it's it's a constant struggle, I mean, uh to to stay uh, on top of what's going on with our people. And you know, this is by far not the first uh or only uh call to action. I mean, in, in the move to abolish twenty first century slavery group, that is something that I value about that group and then also just expanding relationships with abolitionists and, and activists um in all around the country where people will send you information and you know it's typically in this same type of format giving all the staff information that they can provide telling you specifics on what's going on with the individual uh giving you full contact information and just asking just you know begging for someone to to care and to reach out and uh we've seen these efforts make a difference in people's lives you know, uh, we're all still saddened and, and have heavy hearts about what happened, uh, with, with brother Phil, but, you know, we still were able to get people to, to care. And I know Scotty, you were doing your, uh, your, uh, reporting on it also, uh, independent of new abolitionist radio. So, I mean, we're doing what we can and we're going to keep doing what we can until we can do better. So, so, uh, send up your prayers and your positive vibes and whatever you believe in that has to do with righteousness, send that out to the brother and, and, um, it'll make a difference. Amen to that. Um, well, as as I said in the beginning, man, it's kind of a bad time for me. I'm still trying to cope with what's recently occurred. And as you said, there's been one after the other. Uh, we're losing abolitionists. We uh, just recently posted several uh, stories about people we've lost in the abolitionist community. You know, and it's hard enough building up this community. We can't afford to lose nobody, you know, nobody, especially those we love. So uh, mm-hmm. if you have an opportunity to save somebody's life simply by making a phone call, then why not do it? That's what I'm saying. Uh, that's the least you could do. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that's all it takes. Uh, also, you know, like I said, uh, really looking forward to today's stories and interview um, as well. Should we take a break and then come in with our, our guest for today, Scotty? Sure, we can do that. All right. Well, you're listening to New Abolitionist <laughs> Radio with uh, Max John and Scotty, and we'll be right back after this. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com.
Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, today's guest is Dawn Renee, the self-esteem queen, educator, activist, poet, abolitionist, and so much more. She's a hero as far as I'm concerned. And uh, she's here to tell us a story about what's happening in the little town that she's in, Adelanto, California, which already has, uh, this will be their fourth prison that they're building. And it's right in the heart of this town, which is going bankrupt. And they've uh, made some comments as referred to how this is going to save them from going bankrupt and things like that. Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio as a guest, Dawn. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys for having me. And, you know, I, I really want to really just get right into it because I think people are so misinformed. And, you know, we, we throw around, you know, the prison industrial complex, but to actually see it play out, I think people need to be a little more informed about exactly what's going on so they can make better decisions about their life and the things that they do because I'm seeing too many people falling into the trap. And so um, I'm just happy to be able to tell this story. And, Max, as you know, I've been trying to tell this story out loud for <laughs> a year, so uh -huh. I'm really happy to be able to, you know, tell it now. Well, you've got a chance to see it all unfold over time uh, this past year with your own eyes, man. Amazing. Um Brother Johanan uh, actually brought you in, Brother Johanan and Scotty, and, which was something I thought was really beautiful, considering we've known each other so long, that they recognized what you were all about right there. You know what I mean? And I, I thought that was really cool. I uh, appreciate uh, you guys. For, for, is it, they say, uh, like, recognizing like. <laughs> right on. Right on. It's, uh, we're, our, our time is short, so we got to make these connections and and uh, make the best of, of every relationship you know possibility that's out there and, and and maximize it you know really get in there and and, and get something out of this so i'm <clears throat> i was instantly appreciative of seeing the sister had uh had in-depth information on what's going on there and it, it just legitimizes everything that we uh have already spoken on about this both uh with private prisons um uh CCA and geo group specifically and following what they're doing. I mean, reporting the, uh, the earnings, uh, calls, which next week we'll have another one to, uh, profile as, uh, geo group is having their first, uh, first quarter earnings call will be, uh, will be on next week. So we'll, you know, just continue to, to pick apart the transcripts and see where they're planning and plotting for years in advance in some cases and predicting the future. And, uh, for this sister to be right in the middle of it, I'm, I'm ready to go too. So, so, so give us what you got, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I'm a little overwhelmed because, um, it is so much information. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to get through it as fast as possible, keeping in mind that I speak very fast. So I'll try to speak slowly, but fastly. Um, my, my grandparents, so I don't live in the city of Atalanto. I live two cities away from Atalanto, but I moved um, out to the desert a few years back because my mother was taking care of my grandparents. And um, while she was taking care of my grandparents. Hey, Dawn, you might have the radio off. I don't have a radio on. Oh, yeah. I don't know what that is. Um, Johanna, you doing something, man? No. Okay. Uh, let's try that again. <laughs> okay. Testing one, two, three. <laughs> right, it, it seems to have wit away, whatever it is. Uh, you are, you, you guys know how the enemy is, and we we shall proceed. <laughs> um, so, um, my my grandparents retired um, out in Victorville uh, way back in 1991. It was, you know, uh, pretty much a retirement town. A lot of Caucasians. Roy Rogers is from there, and so 
um, over the years, we've seen it basically change. And about five years ago, four years ago, um, an Asian man bought up the projects in Watts, right next to Compton. And what they decided to do is they decided to move the people that lived in the projects out to Adelanto. Now, if you are from the projects and you're used to living in the projects and then you get moved out to a four, five, six bedroom house, um, that's new for you. And so in the last few years, what we've seen really um, is them move a group of people um, out to the desert. We're talking about almost two hours without traffic from Los Angeles. We've seen them move out, and they live in specific areas where they are um, uh, patrolled and watched. And I like to say, I like to use the word patrol, but, you know, really I like to say hunted. Uh, we are hunted and watched in certain areas. Um, and they basically are doing a very intricate scheme by which they are um, getting a lot of women and arresting them for welfare fraud. And they are arresting them on the spot because the people who work for the county of uh, social services in this particular county, which is San Bernardino County, all of their fraud detectives for the county are retired police officers. Now, they're not just retired police officers. They're retired police officers from Orange County. And if you don't know about Orange County here in California, I'll tell you, not, not, not very African-American friendly. Not African-friendly. It's not dark-skinned friendly. So with that being said, you now have these retired police officers and detectives who come to the door 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning like they're the SWAT team. You have to let them in. They search your house. Guns, visible. Handcuffs, visible. And if somebody is in the house that's not supposed to be there, they have the authority to arrest them. Not only do they have the authority to arrest them, but they also will arrest the young lady there because she's committing welfare fraud. Normally, if a guy is living there, he is probably uh, on a parole or, or probation violation. And the reality is that they basically are taking the women, they're getting them for welfare fraud. Most of the women are not educated, so they're taking the felony instead of, you know, uh, hiring a lawyer to at least get it reduced down to a misdemeanor or an infraction. They then lose their Section 8. They lose their county. Now they have children. They have nowhere to live. <laughs> The person that probably was supporting them by doing whatever it was that he was doing is now in jail on a violation. And so now we have robbery. We have shooting. I mean, it, it, it's like taunting in the middle of the desert. And what makes it even worse is prior to all of these people moving out here, um, Atalanta was known and has always been known as the, Chris, the crystal mess um, mecca of the United States of America, so much so that the National Geographic Channel did a special on the Vagos, which is a motorcycle gang that uh, has ties with the Aryan Nation. So you have uh, the Vagos out there in Atalanta. This is the same place where they've moved all, all of these black people from Watts, gang members and such. You also have the Mexican Mafia out there. The Mexican Mafia is there because they've also um, partnered with immigration and ICE to house a lot of the immigrants um, at these prisons in Atalanta. And so although they're saying that this fourth prison has been shot down, I'm here to tell you that they meet quietly, like we used to meet in the middle of the night. They meet quietly. They hold meetings, and they vote quietly. And I will not be surprised if we see that prison up and running 
and we're talking about a town that doesn't even have a McDonald's. With five prisons, four already. Well, actually, they only have four, and because um, I did a quick search right before the program, and that's why I kind of titled the uh, program that Citizens uh, Stand Up to Stop Another Geo Group Private Prison, and um, I posted that link in, in our uh, planning page, but it yeah. appears that they had like some kind of community meeting or city hall meeting, uh, city council meeting, I should say. And uh, from this article, it was stating that, you know, the people turned out and they were saying, we don't want another prison. We don't want another prison. And so the city council did not back off, but the GEO group backed off and said that, you know, we'll, you know, uh, revisit this later because they were going to open up uh, another 1,000 plus head, you know, private prison. And so, you know, I had to commend the people uh, for stopping that and, and letting them know something. Again, sometimes that's all it takes. It's just coming out and making your voice uh, heard. But I mean, this town is having all kind of problems. And it seems that that's their number one job creator right there is building prisons. Oh, well, you know, it would be nice if that were true. However, hmm. the jobs don't come to Adelanto. Oh, they don't. The job, no, they, the, the jobs, that was what happened the last time. And in the article that I had posted, you know, it was amazing because the mayor of Adelanto um, was of color. And, uh, of course. Had initially supported the construction of the prison. Okay, and then uh, her, oppo- her her opponent, okay, he was against the prison. But right after he won the election, he changed his mind. <laughs> and now he supports the construction of the facilities, right? And so they're talking about how it's going to raise revenue for the city. Not that it's going to bring jobs mm-hmm. at all. I mean, those are not the kind of jobs you want anyway, but, you know... Um... I mean, like, it seems, again, this is kind of related to the other story. You know, uh, they just did something on mainstream media about the ticket writing schemes in Ferguson and locking up people and, and things of that nature. And that's how, you know, we saw with in New York when the police did their little, you know, crybaby protest saying we're not going to lock up people unless we have to. We're not going to arrest them. We're not going to get them tickets. And they, you know, that cost the city $10 million a year. And that's just that's just pitiful. You know that, you know, this mayor, this new mayor that you're telling us about is that that's the way they looking at bringing in revenue uh, to the city. And then I also read that, like, you know, I'm not sure if it was the mayor or if it was the finance officer for the city or what, were making over a quarter of a million dollars a year in salary. And and, and, and we're talking about a, a city that, I mean, not only is it in deficit, but you have to understand that more than 70% of the houses at one time were vacant due to foreclosure. Mm-hmm. 70. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so so now you have um, a group of people who are in an area where uh, there's no real source of higher education. Um, there's no real source of a job, right? So my office is actually in L.A., and I have to commute. Every day, I get up at two thirty in the morning, leave my house by three thirty, and I don't get home until after ten thirty every night, five days a week. Hmm. So, so I can afford to do that, though. But imagine how many people cannot. So we're talking about 
we're moving people to an area that doesn't have jobs. We know they don't have jobs, and it's only going to get worse. Yet they don't have jobs, but we're moving everybody up here, and we're putting them in a situation where they don't know they're being watched. You're taking away whatever assistance that they have, and then you're saying, okay, just make it. I'm telling you, I listen to the police scanner every night, and it's like shoot 'em up movies. It is unbelievable. I carry a firearm every night to patrol my house and also my neighborhood. They've already broken into my mom's car, but let me tell you one thing. They won't be breaking into my house. But the people that promote this are the police officers because you're talking about an area, right, that only has four police officers on patrol at a time. I bet you they got a lot of bail bonds officers. You got that right. Because they go hand in hand. We know how that works, particularly where there's retired officers they often go directly from policing into bails bombing. Exactly. And, you know, they're definitely not for um, the people. I also wanted to say that I have a couple of comrades who are doing 25 to life. And the stories that I hear when they're able to get to me from a, from a burn zone, the stories that I hear about the slavery that is happening right now, I mean, you know, I, I have to say this article here um, – it all starts with those who police us. I have to say, when when you wrote this article, um, it was just so right on point. You know, there are so many people that don't understand or believe. First of all, let me say, everything is not made in China. Okay? So <laughs> they, 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 they want us to believe that, but that's not so. Everything is not made in China. There are some things that are made up and down the California uh, uh, correctional facilities. <laughs> All I have a friend, I have a friend, yep. you got that right, I have a friend who's slaving right now for less than 10 cents an hour. Damn. We have a, a lot of them right now doing that same thing. <clears throat> Can I ask you a question? Do you know how it is they managed to get the people to move under what, uh, well, I mean, what did it do, what did they do to cause people to move from LA to go to the desert into this constructed environment which creates a hunting ground and for those that don't know dawn is an abolitionist so she's looking at this in the perspective of truth and not all the you know little crazy things that we chase as shadows but the truth of the matter and the truth of the matter is it's a hunting ground that has been created there so how do they get the people to move from la to this desert what they basically did is they offered them five thousand dollars and free housing for a year so some people got twenty five hundred, some uh, people got five thousand dollars. So 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 it was a relocation um, sort of stipend. Okay, so they moved everybody out out, and of course you know that's a lot of money. But then when you move out and, and you realize, oh well, you, you have to participate in welfare to work. Oh well, uh, these guys on motorcycles, the Vagos, they don't really like black people. Oh. Well, these other guys, the Mexican mafia, they don't really like black people either. <laughs> so, so now, yes, you've moved them out here. Um, we, we've had a couple of instances just in the last six months where uh, the police have shot and killed a couple of uh, black men. One they accused of uh, trying to break into a house. He was on a bike over 300 pounds, and, and they uh, tased him and killed him. He worked for the newspaper. And um, another guy was, you know, shot and killed while he was at a traffic stop in Cadillac. And so it's open season on black men in America. It's open season on black men in the high desert. And I think that people need to take the time to stop and look. So, yes, they've offered money, right? What happens when that money ran out? Well, the people can't get back down the hill because most of them don't have a running car. 
wow. because welfare is not it's not designed for that. And 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 then they're being watched. So the men that that are coming up to the desk thinking that they can sell weed or or this or that, sadly mistaken. They're being watched and they're being rounded up. And that is the justification for the need for more prisons. You understand? Because they yes. already have contracts with L.A. County. They already have contracts with ICE. Don't let the media fool you. They already have these contracts. There's no reason right. for the Mexican mafia to be here besides that contract. Wow. Like like uh, Max says, spoken like an abolitionist. I mean, that's, that's the uh, – I was discussing with Max earlier today. It's like the abolitionist movement – and uh we're you know we're 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 like a LASIK surgery for all of the 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 foggy and and not so clear pictures people may have of what they think is going on in this country. We can really sharpen up your vision and help you really see and make the connections that you need to make so you can understand the war that we are engaged in because people don't seem to to want to engage in it, and therefore it must not be a war, but just like what you're telling us right now, this is an entire operation what you're describing from you know just the basics of it it may not even be the full extent of how expansive it really is and how pervasive it really is in the government in the society that they're creating the communities people are entire lives people are raising children up under all of this this is how deep this thing goes and it's all based on the incentive created in the 13th Amendment exception that says that you can be made a slave if we can convict you of a crime. So let's get busy convicting folks of crimes so we can stick with this slavery that we love. Right, and, and create an environment where you can have more and more criminal circumstances, uh, a, a natural environment where it has no choice but to occur. Um, one of the, A couple of things in here that kind of struck me was, one, the city itself, has more prisons than supermarkets. That's one thing. And they have this $2.6 million budget deficient. And they're considering, like logically considering that it is worth it to incarcerate as many people as they possibly can and take in LA's overflow. Cause we already know LA is doing the same thing. They've reached their 144%. So they're sending their overflow out in order to share the wealth of their property. Well, that $2.6 million budget deficient would already for prisons seems very strange to me. It's like they're only getting crumbs based on what the prison is getting because their money is being beefed up now through their uh, Department of Justice, getting receiving funds for how many prisoners they have in their county, right? Isn't that how it works, Don? And the slavery. Don't forget the slavery. They're getting their yeah. money from that, too. That's right. And the slavery. Right. So, and the labor. so they're, don't forget the slavery. They're considering, <laughs> without even considering human costs they're just like you know just throwing them to the wolves so to speak like their lives are meaningless they're just uh the fuel for this engine that we have called human trafficking and modern day slavery oh man i i i I need you guys to understand that when you you know to to watch it actually happen and go down you know to watch them set people up you know, people like that, literally and, and, in your neighborhood, right? And, 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 and let me say, it's not in my neighborhood, but it's in well, it's two cities. I mean, you know, because right, the right. desert is so small, literally, yeah, it is my neighborhood. Yeah, it's your neighborhood. You know, right? But the way that to watch them set it up and to watch them move every, you know, kind of sort of bust everybody out, you know, and 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 then you know, give them this better way, and then move them into these houses, and to watch them 
just set up shop. We have arrested three people so far in the city right next to Adelanto Victorville for child sex trafficking. And all they've done is come and set up shop. And they're especially excited because now when they kidnap the girls from Los Angeles, they have a place to bring them, which is right in between Los Angeles and Las Vegas, because where we live is right literally two hours, two and a half hours from Las Vegas, right, where prostitution is legal. And so now we are helping to aid and abet traffickers, right, who are now moving the kids that they kidnapped, right, because make no mistake, those kids are being kidnapped. Every day that I get on Facebook, I always see some little black kid that's missing, 14, 15, that has found someone on Facebook, ran away, met them, found out the person is not 17, 18, or 19, but 32, 33, and a pimp. They get drugged, right, with heroin or crystal meth. Next thing you know, they're in a land that they don't even know, turning tricks. And we are aiding and abetting that right now. I think it would be kind of uh, naive for us to even think that legalized slavery and illegal slavery aren't working together on some level. I mean, hand in hand. Yes. Uh, we need to take a break. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't see the, the messenger from you, Scotty. You've been listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Dawn Renee, the self-esteem queen, Max, Scotty, and Johanna. We'll be right back after these messages. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. You know, Dawn, that used to be my stomping grounds out there. Uh, My first son was born out in San Bernardino and uh, Redlands County and those areas. I used to travel a lot through Victorville uh, on a regular basis. Those are some spread out areas. I mean, it's, it's even worse than the South. You know, like the towns are very much spread apart in certain areas. And uh San Bernardino has always been rife with the prison industrial complex and everything that goes along with that. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and where we are is actually in San Bernardino County, so the high desert in San Bernardino mm-hmm. County. And, ex- and exactly what they did in Atalanta, they have already done in San Bernardino over seven or eight to ten years ago. But they moved all of the people that were downtown. So they had an issue downtown, you know, years ago on Skid Row, right? You have all these homeless people. You have all these, these downtrodden, that's what they call it downtrodden people and you know downtown they wanted to have a a resurgence right and so they built up downtown and they said oh oh, well if we're going to have lots out here that are you know hundreds of thousands of half a million dollars right that we can't have all these homeless people out here and we can't have all these folks motels out here so what if they do they relocated them all to san bernardino Mm -hmm. okay and now san bernardino is the project and you have 14, 15-year-old girls that I literally can go out on baseline right now, and they are out there turning tricks for their life. Wow. For their life. I have, I have a question. Um, cause we've been paying particularly attention to California. Uh, the Supreme Court had ruled that they needed to let 
over a hundred, almost 150,000 prisoners go to ease overcrowding. Uh, we first heard in the GEO group that, you know, when we were listening to one of their earnings calls, um, first mentioned, you know, we got some opportunities coming up in California. And, and so, you know, the state of California, uh, we have been reporting on the attorney general, Kamala Harris, who will be running as a Democrat, running for the Senate, who's actually being taken to task right now by, I believe it's the Ninth Circuit, uh, Court of Appeals. And we covered that last week where she is fighting to keep people in prison where they know there was prosecutorial misconduct and whatnot. But they also uh, recently argued, her office did um, recently argued that we can't let all these people go because then it would deplete California of a cheap labor pool. And then she later came out later and said, oh, oh, I didn't mean for them to say that. That sounds bad. That sounds like involuntary servitude. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, you know, then we heard about, and Johanan and, and Max, y'all refresh my memory, but we heard about a referendum a ballot initiative referendum that was supposed to result in a lot of people getting let out of prison for nonviolent, uh, victimless drug crimes. And uh, so, 47. yeah, Prop 47. So, so have you heard of any like mass releases of these people or are they just, you know, uh, shifting, you know, human trafficking, moving them around the state? Well, I, I will tell you that I haven't heard a lot about the release of prisoners due to overcrowding, but I have seen with my own eyes the moving around of prisoners mm-hmm. in California. And see, when we play that game, you know, it's sort of like when you put a kid in kindergarten, you know, they get paid per head. So so there are some schools who accept the four-and-a-half-year-old versus other schools that will say, no, you have to be five years old. Well, in California, you know, um, it's easy to just move them around. I mean, I drive on the intrastate every five days a week, and every day I see sheriff's buses transporting people yep. every day. So for me, um, in my opinion, because I haven't seen otherwise, I have to tell you that I believe it's a moving game where they're moving them from one prison <coughs> to another. By the time they get you in one prison, right, you, you have this period of time where people don't know where you are. You know, because during your intake, you can't you, you can't call out, you can't, you know what I mean? There are certain things you can't do during that intake process. And then right as you're about to have, I, I guess, conversation with the outside world, they'll move you again. So, so there are some people literally right now who are going months without talking to anybody because they're continuously being moved. Yeah, human trafficking. I was just talking with uh, Mary Diaz out of Florida. Uh, she'll be on next week. What they're doing in Florida is they're refusing people parole and uh, probation. So uh, that's one of the ways that they're making up for uh, whatever changes are being made by denying them parole and probation. And uh, I think Florida just released 23 people only in 2014, uh, according to Mary. It's only getting worse. And, and, and I think that something else that I want to say, and I may ruffle some feathers, but, you know, as, as a vigilante, I'm not really concerned with that. 
you know, some, sometimes we're looking at people in positions of power that happen to be of the same skin complexion as us, and we think to ourselves, oh, now we have another uh, President Obama. Well, I'm here to say that although <laughs> I'm happy we have a black president, um, that, <laughs> that that's no big feat considering um, the welfare uh, <laughs> that uh, he's allowed to happen and, and, and the and, and the dis um, the disproportioned um, uh, way that here in California I see people not advancing. And so um, Ms. Harris, um, who I have a lot of respect for, um, I, I, I wouldn't be so quick to, you know, hail her as a queen in the same way that I wouldn't be so quick to hail Asia Brown, the first female uh, uh, mayor of Compton. I wouldn't be quick to hail her either. You know, sometimes we see people and we see color and then we say, oh, they know the way. No, no, that's not true. Hmm. Well, like Scotty uh, mentioned, we uh, cover pretty extensively. I believe we we uh, dive deeper into the private prison money making machine than really anybody else is reporting on it. That's not telling you to invest your money in it. Um, and you know these these uh, California prisons uh, typically are you know from nine hundred to fifteen hundred beds, as they call them, or we refer to them as heads. Uh, when they make these expansions or when they open these facilities or whatever, you know, whether it's a contract with the marshals for immigration, whether it's contracts, uh, you know, with ICE for the, for the immigration or whether it's a uh, LA County transferring prisoners, whatever it is, these things always pay, you know, when you, when you're looking at about a thousand heads, you're looking at around $30 million and that's from their transcripts, you know, every quarter they, they report on what their newest developments are. And when they have a number that's around a thousand people, in the state of California, that number of revenue that they're talking about is around $30 million. And we've shown that over the last 15 years, both the GEO Group and CCA have effectively lobbied both sides of the aisle, the Democrats and the Republicans, in state legislatures, in the governor uh, races, in Congress overall, uh, offering over $75 million that they've paid out to both parties to make sure that these things that we're seeing happen right now were going to come to pass from, you know, from day one. That was always their plan, and they always grease these palms. And these people go from private working in or working in the, in the government to working directly for the Corrections Corporation or working directly for the GEO Group and making sure these things come to pass with their old friends in, in elected office. So from where you're at and what you're seeing, and like Scotty just mentioned, Kamala Harris, what you're seeing and on the ground and seeing these these very uh intricate connections is what can you what can you leave the audience with the listeners with the other abolitionists out there whether they're in your area or they need to start looking more closely at where they're at around the country what can you give people as far as uh sure signs of what to be looking for whether it's from your city council or from elected officials and these type of laws like max said how they even started bringing people out there in the first place Give the people some things that you've learned about what has happened to where you're at that they can look for, and maybe we can cut off, you know, the next 10 cities that this plan is being expanded to. Well, the first thing that I would say, and thank you so much for asking that question, the first thing I would say is don't believe everything that you read in the media. See, there are so many people who will see an article and only uh, see the surface of that article. Are you going uh, to city council meetings? Are you following closely the work that's not being reported. See, just like a celebrity, 
uh, city council people, mayors, anyone, anyone you know, in a government office, right? They have marketing that they need to do also. And we don't always look at it like that, but there are a number of things that they do that are not written about. And so I think it's important for people to, you know, before you stand behind someone or, you know, stand up for someone, make sure you know what they actually stand for. Do your homework. Find out what they really believe and what their causes are. Take some time to go to an event that they're at. You don't have to introduce yourself, but see how they uh, assimilate with the audience. You understand? Are they just there to speak, or are they there to really talk to the people in the audience after they have their photo op? You understand? See, the photo op in the article is nice because somebody is being paid to write that. That's their job. But why don't you go see them and, and see how they act when there are no cameras flashing? See how they act when it's just them and their community that they serve. Are they really serving or are they standing there waiting for someone to come pick them up? And are you being rushed away or hushed away from speaking to them about the real matters that are important to you, your community, and your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. I know we get hushed a lot because, you know, I'm one of those cats that do go to those different events and stuff like that. And uh, often when I get up there to start talking about this, and Johanna knows what I'm talking about because it's happened to him, they'll try to make you change the subject or silence you all together. They don't want to address these very simple questions and statements that we make about modern-day slavery. They don't even want to face that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I've seen it happen to another comrade of ours, Spirit the Tattoo Poet, out in Columbia when he went and spoke in front of the mayor. The same thing happened to him there. It's almost like it's a concentrated effort for them uh, to not let us speak on this issue. And it, you would, wouldn't expect it from some of these people, you know, like how often do you hear Van Jones talk about slavery and modern-day traffic, or Cory Booker, for that matter. You know, he's got this Redeem Act, but has he ever spoke about slavery and modern-day traffic? Uh, right, right. Yeah, has he ever actually spoken that? The last time I heard from Cory Booker previous to this Redeem Act, he was actually paying people randomly a thousand dollars to rat on their neighbors about guns and made a video. And, about let, it. and let's be for real, uh, Rand Paul, um, libertarian leanings, and I know about Rand Paul in the Tea Party. But see, I don't look at labels. I don't even look at skin color. I look at when I see these people, I see them as red, white, and blue. All right, they representing that flag. In the U.S. government. And so, but Cory Booker jumped on the bandwagon, I guess, you know, to bring in black people or to make it look like he's doing something. But the bill actually is a good bill. It's a good bill. Uh, yeah, it's a great bill. It, it's going to help a whole lot of people. Some of the uh, things um, that we had discussed on this program of uh, that, that our guest was mentioning, uh, where she was talking about, you know, the uh, 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 once you get a felony, how they kick you off a of section eight. You can't get snap. You can't get this and that, you know, and, and they're not creating jobs. So, I mean, it's not like, I don't want to hear that, you know, people need to work hard and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and that old garbage. Where are the jobs at? Where are the jobs for these people? But here's what I'm afraid of happening. Even if that passes, that only applies to federal, federal crimes. Okay. And it has some incentives in there for the states to pass similar legislation, you know, to to uh stop the lifetime punishment of people tagged with felonies and whatnot. But there's it, no way they can enforce them, you know. And then the way that it entices them 
is okay if you pass these laws to give these people a fair chance at you know getting you know their lives together then we'll give you even more money you know for policing <laughs> you know what i'm saying so it's like wow but even if that was to pass you know what i'm saying and it help a few people i'm worried about if it's going to be enforced because again we talking about prop 47 in in california these people are in violation of of the laws again kamala harris office is being uh um blasted right now by the federal court of appeals the ninth circuit because she is fighting to keep people in prison that they know are either innocent or they know that they were railroaded by prosecutors and there has been almost next to no prosecution or disciplinary actions for these prosecutors that engage in misconduct to put somebody on a prison plantation. And so when these are people that are breaking laws and they're supposed to represent the law. And so when the president of the United States want to come out and talk about we're a nation of laws, I'm like, really, are we? Because these people seem to be violating the laws and the federal government is allowing the violation of international laws as it pertains to human rights that it has uh, signed on to. And it's supposed to be enforcing. So I said all that to say this is, you know, they're making it very difficult for us to obtain freedom and, and to abolish slavery and human trafficking in this country by peaceful means. So y'all can take that for, you know, what what it's worth. But I'm just telling you, they seem to be just, I'm wondering, what is it going to take? The voters of California passed Prop 47. Let these people out. The Supreme Court has told you, let these people go. Then you conspire with these private prison enslavers to just move them around and not let them go. So, I mean, this is, you know, I, I'm just going to be quiet because I know there are people listening and there are people that would love to, to uh, take us off the air because Scotty said something stupid. So, but people, y'all read in between the lines of what I'm trying to tell you. These are lawbreakers who are supposed to be upholding the law and they're practicing slavery. Okay. There was a civil war in this country over that issue and the issue was never settled. When the law endorses lawbreakers, it's time to become a criminal. Well, you know, I, I really want to interject here, and I want to say that I may, once again, ruffle some feathers. It's what I do, because I seek, I seek say, and live the truth. But a, a, number, a, a number of the people who shut down uh, the freeways in honor of Mike Brown or Trayvon Eric Carter, right? Mm-hmm. Right, we, we shut down freeways for somebody we've never met, for a story that we don't know. You know, for 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 a media heightened sensitivity uh, 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 story, so that news uh, reporters can keep their jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And so, my question is, right, because when I pass by uh, the Twin Towers here in downtown LA on a on a Saturday morning, okay, there's a line long as get out, right, all the way down to like the parking structure of women waiting to to spend 20, 30 minutes seeing some man, right? Mm. And so my question is, how come these same women aren't organizing, right? You you have women that that get with each other and and ride to prison together, ride to the jail together to visit. How come we're not doing that same organization as the people and organizing and standing and asking the questions and not leaving until we get the answers? You understand? We want to do something when the media is there, but what happens when there are no cameras? What happens when there is no media? What happens when there is no no reporter asking you questions? Do you understand? When are you going to stand up and say slavery is wrong, right? It's continuing to happen, 
You understand? I welcome people to get educated. You understand? And mm-hmm. not all education is found on Facebook. You may find mm-hmm. an article, but there are hundreds of articles. And there is a lot of open source information that people can find. So I just welcome people to wake up. You understand? Because we can make a whole bunch of excuses and we can, as abolitionists, you know, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, you should do that. Because we've been doing that for years with no cameras. I've been rescuing teen prostitutes and child sex trafficking yep. for 15 years with no cameras. And with no cameras. No cameras. Mm-hmm. You can't do that to a reality show. I go and I speak to self-mutilators, youth. You understand? Suicide survivors, ninth graders. You understand? And you can't do it with a camera. But guess what? We're only paying attention to the people who want the camera there to catch the story that they want us to hear. You understand? And we need to stand up and tell our own story because if you're going to a prison to visit, if you're writing a letter or receiving a letter, if you're sending a care package, if you're putting money on somebody's book, right, you are contributing to the slavery of the person in there because they take that money and they Mm -hmm. don't give it all to the prisoner, right? And so you are contributing to this system. And I welcome you to wake up to stand in front of the prison and ask, demand, stand with Prop 47 and say, I demand that you let our people go. Our people, my people, your people. Get Moses on that ass. <laughs> you hear Tribal Rain in the background. Right? She's shouting you out there, Dawn. <laughs> that's a PDOG talk you're doing right now. But you're, you're absolutely right. And that's one of the things we do here is try to wake people up to the real circumstances so they can see it. And I personally believe that the most fundamental change we can ever do is to change our own minds. And once you change your mind, you change how you view things. And once you change how you view things, you change how you think about things and how you react to them. It's such a simple thing you can do that we can all do. And it's the biggest change we could ever make, I think. I know it changed me many, many years ago when I changed my mind. Free your mind and your <laughs> ass will follow. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, got a poem by the one. Here, here it go. <laughs> but no doubt. Dawn, let me ask you another question. Uh, first of all, we appreciate you bringing light to this story that's happening in the community there. And we're going to do what we can to get others to know about it and maybe some more reaction towards this so people can look into this like they're looking into the Ferguson circumstances right now with that lawsuit. Um, anything could happen. But also, you're involved, as you mentioned several times, with child tra- trafficking. And uh, you're one of those people that go out there physically into the streets and, and, and talk with these young ladies and help them. And sometimes even take them by the hand out of the circumstance into sa- safety. I remember one time about a year ago where you were looking for friends to help you house someone who was in need at that moment. So that's the type of activist you, you are. How can our listening audience help your endeavors? Well, I appreciate you for asking. I'm, I'm not really big on on the ego-driven conversation that centers around me as a person. However, as a servant leader, I will say that I focus primarily on youth, and my focus um, is uh, threefold. I focus on um, suicidal, depressed teens in the Native American communities. I focus on uh, teens that are um, child sex traffic teens and or teens that are teen prostitutes, even though it's not popular to say that term anymore, like when they took away manic depression and put in bipolar disorder, even though it's still manic depression, some people are just teen prostitutes. They're not being trafficked. They're out there because they want to be out there. So um, I, I don't judge them either. Um, and then my third group is the LGBT. You know, um, 
I believe that anybody that's in prison in, in a land where we're supposed to be free, even if it's the imprisonment of the emotions, the mind, or the spirit, uh, is somebody that needs to have somebody advocate for them. And so those are the three youth groups that I advocate for. And you can find out more information at selfesteemqueen.com. Selfesteemqueen.com. And we put that website on the New Abolitionist page on Facebook. So make sure you check it out. And if you know somebody that needs uh, help, uh, maybe Dawn can point you in the right direction or do something for yourself, herself. Um, in any case, reach out to her if you're in need of that type of uh, services from a servant. Uh, Dawn, any messages or any tips that you would like to give to the younger listening audience uh, or parents who may be dealing with particular issues within their own family? Some advice that you might want to give them to help avoid falling into those types of traps? With respect, I would advise you to get off social media. And, and I, I would advise you to spend more time with your child. You know, today I was driving and I witnessed a family of four and they were standing to cross the street, evidently to enter a restaurant, all four of them face down, head inside of a phone, not having a conversation, not taking the time to enjoy the day or, or the weather. And I would just welcome people to take the time to get off of Instagram and let go of your ego and spend some time, right, focused on serving others. And you can serve others by educating yourself. Just, I just welcome people to educate themselves. You know, we spend a lot of time uh, focused on things that the media wants us to focus on, but there are so many other just causes out there that are very important, one of which is slavery. And we cannot uh, pretend, especially in Black History Month, right, that we've overcome, right? I'm still thinking we shall overcome because we ain't overcame yet. <laughs> yeah, change didn't come yet. It's supposed to be coming. They've been singing for years, but it ain't come yet. I have hope that we'll see change in our in our lifetimes. That's my hope right there, you know, that we'll see change in our lifetime, that we'll see an abolition of legalized slavery. We'll see the 13th Amendment exception clause taken out of the 13th Amendment. We'll see it, the same thing uh, in state constitutions across the board where they put in language that banishes slavery forever and removes their own exception clauses. And most of all, we'd like to see those 70 to 80% of the people who are in prisons and jails right now released to just let them go. I mean, you're robbing people of their lives. Dawn, uh, it has certainly been a pleasure and inspiring. Uh, any uh, last words you'd like to say before uh, we finish up here? No, I just appreciate you guys for having me on the show, and I appreciate everything that you guys do, and I'll continue to support and listen as I always have because I believe that the truth is out there, and I just welcome, you know, an open conversation, you know, and, and I just really hope that people would hold themselves accountable. You know, it's so easy to talk about what other people aren't doing, but what are you doing? Amen. <laughs> Amen to that one. You've been listening to Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and Johanna Nalaya with Dawn, the self-esteem queen here today uh, out of California and her story of what she's fighting and facing out there. If you can... Offer some help one way or another, do so. The website is right on the new abolitionist radio. Once again, thank you, Dawn. Uh, Johanna, Scotty, any last statements? Thank, thank you, Dawn, and, and Thanks, appreciate Dawn. Uh, you standing up. You know, uh, we just trying to convert more, and uh, you already out there soldiering, and so we just uh, focusing on recruiting more people to this abolitionist army, but I would say you a general uh, in this army, so thank you. Man. Amen to that one right there. She don't be playing. Peace, Dawn. I love you.
Well, I, I like to be the I like to be the example of someone who is a disciple who goes out to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Thank you. Right on, right on. Good night. Stay safe, sister. Thank you so much. Man, uh, yeah, you're right, Scotty. She's a general, man. Prismatic Dreams is an organization that has a lot of abolitionists in its folds. And we've been doing this, you know, like yourself, for a long time now trying to fight it. Even when we didn't know what it was, we were still fighting it, you know, as I said earlier. Um, I'm hoping that some light will come on the story that she shared with us about uh, Adelanto County, Adelanto County, or Adelanto the city and their $2.6 million deficit that they're trying to make up for with human trafficking and modern-day slavery. Mm. Well, we're going to take a break. It's 9 o'clock, and when we come back, we'll have our first story of the evening. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back after this. Tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Our first story of the evening is going to be dealing with Ferguson again in the news because they are suing for modern-day debtors' prisons. Now, as you know, if you're a little long-time listening to New Abolitionist Radio, we pointed out that debtor prisons has returned uh, in a, a big way, and it has been going on for a very long time. And now we're starting to understand just how true those statements are. And people are beginning to fight back with lawsuits. I got us this story uh, from MSNBC, and it's from Politics Nations with Al Sharpton. And I'll read some excerpts from the story, and I'll also post it on the New Abolitionist webpage. But apparently the population of Ferguson is 21,000. They've issued 33,000 arrest warrants, and they collect $2.6 million in fines and fees. And part of the story, it says, a group of legal and advocacy groups are taking steps to remedy what they describe as a regional criminal justice issue that helped wrench open the racial divide that came to light in the wake of Brown's death. Following Brown's killing in August by now retired Ferguson police officer Darren Wilson, local residents and some elected officials zeroed in on what they say has been a long and torrid history of police abuses. The claims range from outright police brutality to day-to-day harassment and unfair stops and searches of poor and minority residents. Lawyers and activists said the letter is part of a much broader systemic pattern across the web of more than 80 small independent municipalities in the suburbs of St. Louis that use petty arrests and exorbitant fines to fill city coffers. On Sunday, plaintiffs in two separate cases filed federal class action lawsuits against Ferguson and other nearby municipalities, uh, Jennings, over what they allege are municipal court systems that essentially operate as modern-day debtors' prisons, and as I said, targeting African Americans for mass incarceration. The 11 plaintiffs in the suit against Ferguson were jailed for non-payment and claim they have held they were held indefinitely without attorneys and never given a hearing to determine the abil- their ability to pay fines and fees. The suit against Jennings claims the nine plaintiffs were held in jail to coerce them into paying their fines. The Jennings mm-hmm. group also alleges that police and jailers arbitrarily changed the amount they owed. 
that's just a little bit of the story. Again, just see uh, where again, we're going with the law, the so-called upholders of the law or law enforcers are breaking the law. You know, they just locked doing whatever the heck they want to do. Now, Max, I can't get that video to load. Um, but there was a video, there was a video uploaded by the Southern Poverty Law Center about, um, uh, in August of 2014 and saying in the title of this video is modern day debtors prison in the deep south so like y'all have already stated this isn't just happening in ferguson right now you know and and another thing jennings that's where darren wilson came from see they had abolished the jennings police department for this very same behavior and now they're right at it again a whole new police department doing the same old stuff See, that's why, that's why I'm talking about when people say I'm militant or I'm an extremist. Well, we're dealing with extreme corruption here. We're dealing with extreme evil here. And, and so here you didn't shut down Jennings police department because they're racist and they're just t- ticketing people, you know, poor people and, and, and that, you know, they claim is all on welfare. And man, they sucking out billions of dollars out of our community. Right. All right. And, and, and running these governments. But I had saw this one lady. I was watching uh politics uh last night. Uh, what is it? Politics Nation. And they showed this one lady. Okay. She paid her $300. Did they send her home? No. They sent her from St. Louis County Jail to the Ferguson Jail. She paid another $300 to get out. Did they send her home? No. They sent her to Jennings, where she had to pay another $300. And she's one of the plaintiffs in this lawsuit. These are evil people. These are human traffickers and, and enslavers. All right. So don't be talking to me about no good cops. Don't be talking to me about I'm too extreme or I get too angry over this because it's it's not anything wrong with me. It's something wrong with you. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's something wrong with you. Max, you want me to go ahead and play this clip from the Southern Poverty Law Center? Yeah, go ahead. ahead. All right. It's about four minutes long. My name is Harriet Cleveland. I was stopped by the police at a roadblock. And that's how I assumed my tickets. And I couldn't afford to pay them. So I ended up getting arrested and going to jail for them. I was working part-time back then and uh, I couldn't afford my insurance. That collapsed. So I still had my license, and uh, I got a ticket for no insurance. I went and paid half of it, and that's when my license was suspended because I didn't finish paying my tickets for no insurance. So I was doing wrong driving while I suspended, but I had to get to work. I had to go pick my son up and take him to school and back and forth in the store, and that's how I ended up getting my troubles with those roadblocks. All of them were set up within a half a mile from my house. I was ordered to pay JCS through the courts, $140 a month. And 40 was going to JCS and 100 would go on my fines. If you could not afford to pay your whole 140 for that month, you have to go in every week. It was hard because I didn't like going and I didn't have the money and it's sort of embarrassing doing that. You know, at my age now, I lost my car trying to pay them. I did a title loan on my car and lost that and trying to pay my utility bills, you know, and they're getting shut off here and there. Well, I wanted to pay my fine. 
but I couldn't afford it. And like I said, it just hurt my heart. And I didn't even have that tape, but I had to take something. Till it got to a point, I just got tired, and I couldn't take anything anymore. That was like in a, I paid him $2,000 one time when I got my income tax. And that was in February. And in March, I just didn't have anything else to give him. So I stopped taking anything. I told the lady I would catch up, so I gave her that. I like to keep my word. And that's what she said, Miss Cleveland, you did keep your word. You gave me that. I said, yeah. Well, I don't understand it. Like I said, I didn't know that that was a private company. I thought it was from the city of Montgomery. So I just really lost a whole lot of money paying to them. That didn't go on to my fine. It was a Tuesday morning. My sister had just passed. We buried her that Saturday. So I was still feeling a little down and out. I had my grandbaby with me, and I was sitting up giving him breakfast that morning, and I heard a knock on the door. And I looked from around my room, because I was feeding him in the bedroom. We was watching cartoons, and I seen a police officer at my door. And in the back of my mind, it wasn't for me, because I didn't figure they'd come get you for tickets. I was escorted to jail. And when I went to court, the judge asked me, Miss Cleveland, why haven't you paid your tickets? I told him I didn't have the money to pay it. I can't afford it. I just got a new job. You know, can give me some time. He said no. So upstairs I went because I didn't have 1700 to pay. About six of us went to jail that day. It was a sad day. It really was for me and a lot of other ones. All right, that's the that's the end. That was the story of, of this uh fifty year old woman, and um again, this is happening all across the United States, and they are targeting black communities. All right, they are targeting poor people who don't have money to give in the first place. You know, these are what I call when when you are running out of money. All right, again, you know, the uh, jobs aren't really there. If you're lucky enough to have a job. They're not paying you anything that you can live off of and support yourself, let alone a family. Then things happen. Okay, I got to decide whether I'm going to pay my electricity bill or I'm going to send in this insurance payment and and or if I'm going to send it in late. And then, you know, y'all just heard her story. That story plays out all over America. So let's not act like, you know, we ain't been there because I certainly have been there. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, you know, and I've had hard times through um, loss of jobs and things of that nature. And, and so, you know, they coming after these people. It's all a game. And y'all know, did y'all know where she said she had was paying it to a private company? Probation yep, fees. We, and all. we spoke about that here before. Man. These probation companies tacking on all these fees and using it in order to enslave people. To hold it like the sword of Damocles over people's heads. I've experienced this firsthand on more than one occasion, which has cost me thousands of dollars. I remember in California, in freaking San Bernardino, I got ticketed. Did and uh, it was you know they ticket you out there and they leave a ticket on the car and if it's not on the car when you go off, that's not. So they're concerned. Well, apparently that happened to me. And when I went to buy a house many years later, that was on my, uh, 
I guess some kind of record or whatever. And I couldn't buy the house because I owed this nearly $5,000 to California from a ticket 10 years earlier. And I couldn't buy that house until I paid off that 5000 I had to go into debt to pay California 5000 for what, a $300 or $200 ticket at the time, which went up to five grand in a decade. And then later on, they did it to me when they pulled me and my wife over after a camping trip. And right in front of our faces, these cops during election period in Patterson, New Jersey, they do this all the time, pulled me over, scraped the current sticker off my car and put on a uh, expired ticket and then charged me with that. And when I protested, they went and uh, charged me with possession of explosives because I had a firecracker in the trunk of the car <laughs> and possession of a deadly weapon because I had a World War II uh, dagger that was also in the car in my backpack part of a collection that I had. And uh, I nearly lost my job with 12 years behind that. I spent about five days in jail, cost me another $3,500 bills bomb and all of that. It's real in the battlefield, fellas. It's real. We reported on uh, on this. Um, again, we've been uh, at the forefront of talking about this with um, with Ferguson and, and the racial profiling and then finding out, you know, how much millions, how many millions they generate you know, off of victimizing these people. So this lady's story, sad as it is, and, you know, God knows I hate this, that she went through this. She's able to give us a, a very concise, detailed, you know, uh, sequence of events so you understand how people are being victimized. And I posted a link to the uh, Missouri Attorney General uh, racial profiling report to the new abolitionist page. It's been posted in there several times and posted uh, uh, graphics showing the, the, the numbers from the report and all of that. And it's as simple and, you know, is, is the, you know, your hand in front of your face. They pick on the black people as often as possible. They overlook white people as often as they can. White people tend to have twice as much of a contraband hit rate when they are stopped, but blacks are searched twice as much and blacks are arrested twice as much. So, if we already know the numbers are going to say that all races use drugs about the same amount. And even though they talk about the black on black crime and the shootings and the killings or whatever, all races tend to have about the same number of killings of one another in their individual communities. Cause you tend to get into crime and end up killing or hurting people that you know, and that you have close access to. So those are all scapegoat little side arguments. But for what's going on in Ferguson, that is a revenue generator, just like slavery is since it since the 1500s, whenever it became colonialized and became chattel slavery, and you began to see people dehumanized. The same thing is going. Do you think that woman was dehumanized? Either one of you, when you heard her speaking, do you feel like she lost a bit of her humanity? As a 50 year old mother and grandmother, you think she feels a little bit less human? Certainly feels a lot less equal. I'm sure of that. Yeah. You know, the lawsuit, it uh, claims that this is a money-making scheme and a machine from Ferguson and Jennings with millions made in the rest between the two municipalities. Ferguson has averaged 3.6 arrest warrants for every household. Three, almost four arrest warrants for yes. every household. And Jennings has over two arrest warrants for every household in recent so again, years. You know, and most of these involve yeah. old unpaid debts it's a damn shame and i think that across the nation we should start the same thing start suing these people for the same thing because it's happening in every major city across america <coughs> which leads to our next story really because these all tie together 
And uh, that's the one where the New York Times article about how jails have become warehouses for the poor, mentally ill, and drug addicted. Brother Scotty, I believe you have that one. Oh uh, yeah, I I can t- I can take uh, this one. Yeah, this is one in New York. I'm sorry, I was looking at the other one. Uh, that's Slate.com, where y'all going to take Fordham uh-huh. Law Professor John? <laughs> yeah, I is going to do that one next. Okay, yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, um, pretty much same typical stuff we report on this program. Uh, this New York Times report that, uh, came out today said that jails have become warehouses for the poor, the mentally ill and addicted, a report says. So it says that jails across the country have become vast warehouses made up primarily of people too poor to post bail or too ill with mental health or drug problems to adequately care for themselves, according to a report that was issued Wednesday. The study is titled Incarceration's Front Door, the Misuse of Jails in America, found that the majority of those incarcerated in local and county jails are there for minor violations, including driving with suspended license, shoplifting or evading subway fares, and have been jailed for longer periods of time over the past 30 years because they are unable to pay court-imposed costs. The report by the Vera Institute of Justice comes at a time of increased attention to mass incarceration policies that have swelled prison and jail populations around the country. This week in Missouri, where the fatal shooting of an unarmed black man by a white police officer stirred months of racial tension last year in the town of Ferguson, 15 people sued that city and another suburb, Jennings, alleging that the cities created an unconstitutional modern-day debtor's prison, putting impoverished people behind bars in overcrowded, unlawful, and unsanitary conditions. And we have posted the rest of this article. You can read it. Go to New Abolitionist Radio Facebook page where you can read the rest. As uh, Max said, you know, it just uh, ties into the last story that we talked about. And that woman we heard on the video that was in montgomery alabama so this is all over this is all over these aren't isolated incidents that that are occurring and so again that is why i look at cops and i look at prison guards and i look at debtors as you know modern day overseers of the prison plantation and then people want to talk about we need them. Well, the NYPD showed us how much we didn't need them when they, you know, got upset with the mayor because he told the truth about how he talked to his black son about, you know, watching out for cops and, and things of that nature. And, and then they said, well, we 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 going to show you. We're going to stop arresting people over petty stuff, and I'm paraphrasing. We're going to stop doing our jobs, all right? And we're only going to arrest people if we have to, you know, for things like murder, rape, things of that nature. Uh, Instead of just arresting people for a little petty marijuana charges or parking tickets or whatever, and they lost $10 million a week, per week. But the city, guess what? The city did not bust out in the crime wave. There weren't a bunch of people getting murdered every day simply because these cops refused to do their jobs. Their job is to fill up the prison uh, prison plantations and the jails to suck money out of us and and to just continue modern-day slavery and human trafficking. There are no good cops, damn it. Well, the, uh, the study is called Incarceration's Front Door, The Misuse of Jails in America. And uh, it does certainly cite that they've created this unconstitutional modern-day debtor's prison. Yeah, it's, a, it's in a lot of uh, uh, state constitutions also. 
we, you know, we used to read the constitutions to see what they said and whether they mirrored the language of the 13th Amendment. And it will say in most of them, of uh, the majority of them, that, you know, debtors' prisons are outlawed. But yet they keep doing. See, that's again when I say when a president of the United States tells us after they let a, a racist killer go free, oh, we're a nation of laws. We just have to accept all of this. Well, no, I'm telling you, no, we don't have to accept it. We should stop accepting it. They don't pay attention to their own laws. We see right now CIA torturers aren't being prosecuted, but the man who whistleblowed on their torture, Jeffrey Skilling, is looking at a 100 years. For exposing the evil. These are evil people. This is an evil system. And as soon as we reach critical mass, it needs to be tore down. Amen to that. Right on. I I, I really reiterate, I I believe that this is a movement, a legal movement, that maybe our guests from last week could do something about the organization of black lawyers across America. And we could start a mass movement of this uh, kind of like a class action lawsuit uh, against debtors prisons because it is illegal and we need to start this. Ferguson's doing it and Jennings is doing it and we know it can be done in Alabama and in Patterson, New Jersey and in Newark, New Jersey and in L.A. and across the country. Then let's start doing it. But Max, you know what we need to do. You know, I had a conversation with the Charlotte NAACP president on on my show, Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed, and she talked about community policing. Um, I talked to Sister Amijo, Sister Tawanda, and uh, this brother uh, Devon. They're activists in Baltimore, and uh, they are pushing legislation to take back community control of the police. Yeah, we need to follow these lawsuits, but more importantly, we need to kick these slave catchers out of our community. They're not answering to us. Okay, they're answering to the system. They are not serving us. They are not protecting us. They are enslaving us and they are gunning us down in the street and they are robbing us blind. You know, they even got mad when Eric Holder and a little bit of baby step reforms where, you know, he uh, called for an end of the federal asset seizure program that they don't highway robbery. Basically, man, these people are crooks and criminals. But all I wanted to do, I wanted to point out. Uh, excerpt from the article. It says the number of people housed in jails on any given day in the country has increased from 224,000 in 1983 to 731,000 in 2013, nearly equal to the population of Charlotte, North Carolina. Even as violent crime nationally has fallen by nearly 50%, and property crime has dropped by more than 40%. From So see, again, these aren't people who have robbed anyone. These aren't people who have broken into anybody's house. These aren't people who have killed anyone. These aren't people who have raped anyone. These are people living in poverty, living in a country that, you know, that, hell, they can't give you a job unless you're in prison. Then they'll find a job for you. And pay your slave wages if they play you anything at all. Again, this is the reality. Let that reality sink in, okay? Smell it. All right, smell it. It is slavery. There's no justification for this other than profit. Yep, none. I'm sorry, Nothing at all. <clears throat> no, man, you good. I mean, it's, we can't really, I mean, I can't add anything to what you're saying. It's the whole root of the whole point of why we are here telling people about this, because this is a reality of the truth. 
It's slavery and they greedy and they heartless and they sneaky and slick and they're going to keep doing it and they're bullies and they're going to pay each other and, and look out for each other and help each other and make sure that the whole thing keeps on rolling. Yeah, it's a big change since the 80s. Since the 80s with Reagan, this has become such an integral part of our entire uh, national structure. Uh, it really is a, uh, a national issue national issue of security uh you know you have to look at it like that it's a security issue yeah they're making it unsafe mm-hmm. they're making it unsafe well it's already unsafe for us all right but they're pushing it they are really creating a national security issue because you know by me listening to the young people and seeing some of the videos coming out now where they're talking about shooting cops on these rap videos now and talking about, you know, how these cops keep getting away with murder and stuff. They, the, the system has created this environment. Look, what did, what did Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist say at one time? Uh, let me pull up that, that quote for, uh, uh, by Frederick Douglass. This is one of my favorite quotes by the great abolitionist, uh, Frederick Douglass, where he said that, and I'm pulling it up, y'all just bear with me, it's coming up, it's the first one that pops up on the page, <laughs> where, where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob, and degrade them, neither persons nor property will be safe. Nobody's persons, no properties. Yeah. They're making it unsafe for us. It's unsafe yeah. for us. They're throwing us in slavery. They're robbing us blind. They're shooting us down in the streets. I say it's, it's time to make it unsafe for them. <clears throat> These people claim they love Frederick Douglass. So I know they heard that. And, and this, you know, that's an extra hundred thousand people right there that's about to, you know, get up and get busy because people love Frederick Douglass. They see him as a great man. They honor him. They they look at him and see him as being a man that gave his life to end in slavery. So when they hear powerful words like that from him, and then they hear us make the connection between what he was talking about then and what he was dealing with then, and they see how clearly it's the same thing going on right now. I know. I I can I can hear all these bells ringing and all these new abolitionists waking up and folks hopping to action now. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, it's true. Frederick Douglass is a great abolitionist. Yeah. I admire the man uh, on many levels, and I've read many of his papers, and I've learned so much from him. But I do disagree with him on s- certain things. Where he had a break with Bill Garrison is the same place that I had a break with him. He, uh Because of his work directly with Lincoln and with politics is the reason we're here now. You know, Garrison said no union with slaveholders, and I agree with him on that. I don't think we can negotiate our way out of this. Uh, what Scotty has been saying to a large degree is not something that we're planning. It's obviously going to happen. You're creating the environment for an uprising. We see it happening in other nations. They do the same thing there, and they're doing it here. And the conclusion usually is mass killings. At some point or another, there's going to be, you're going to be a cop standing there realizing you're the one with some, your boot on somebody's neck or about to kill them en masse in a hail of bullets. And you realize where you're at and what you're a part of. Hmm. And all the people want was to be free. 
That's so, all they wanted was was freedom. We're not talking about people out rioting just to tear up, just to act crazy, just for no reason. We're looking at people that are in these uprisings that are still going on in the aftermath of, <clears throat> excuse me, of again Trayvon Martin. Kind of got a little, you know, a little sand kicked up, and people were going and talking about mass boycotts, and you start seeing some more marches. And obviously, you know, back all through the years, we know we've connected the We Charge genocide. Uh, back in 1951, I believe it was. So, I mean, this has gone on and on. So from Frederick Douglass's time, fast forward to We Charge Genocide 1951, the first version. Fast forward to Civil Rights. Keep going, you know, all the all the assassinations. Mm-hmm. Then going through the 70s, all the Panthers getting locked up, all the political prisoners, the Move family being bombed. I mean, just keep going. And you tell me when there was a time when this same crap wasn't going on, when the people weren't under the same kind of pressure when the people wasn't still being murdered like like scotty just said kidnapped raped murdered robbed beaten everything under the sun the same thing's been going on in america it's not going to just magically stop it's not going to just roll to the bottom of a hill and then just come to a rest and then that's where our society will lay and we can all just be comfortable brothers and sisters holding a hand kumbaya no if it comes to the bottom of a hill if it loses any kind of momentum, they're going to dig a deeper hole and keep going because these people have to keep getting this money. They've got to keep getting this money. They have to do it. They're not going to just shut down $400 million every quarter. They're not going to just shut down 3 4 $5 billion a year and they're keeping the lion's share of that for themselves. They're not going to just stop doing it, people. So we need to stop it for them. Since they won't stop, we need to stop them. I heard recently a parent, a black parent, say uh, on social media publicly that if we're going to start blaming the police, we need to also blame the parents. And I was personally offended by that BS. You know, I raised well, 10 the parents who, who raised those cops. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess you can blame <laughs> the parents who raised the cops, but I, I don't think he was talking about the cops. He was talking about people like us, you know what I mean? I raised my kids in a freaking war zone where they were killing children in the street on a regular basis. Lawrence Myers being the most famous of those at the time, you know, and I managed, they're all alive. They may not all be free, but they are all alive. So to tell me that I might've been able to do something different when I've got this enemy trying to destroy my family, literally kill them or incarcerate them is ridiculous at face value. I don't even know what the hell is wrong with this guy for even saying something like that. Yes, we could use some better parenting across America. There's no doubt about that. But those parents ain't out there enslaving people and gunning people down in the street now. That's right. They are not out there enslaving people. They have to live through that and try to protect their children from it. That's the reason why we have these conversations with our children, because we don't want to see them become enslaved or dead. Exactly. Well, that brings us to our next story, you know, with all of this BS propaganda that's going out. But before we get to it, yeah, we will take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about somebody's new theory about why so many Americans are in prison. As a matter of fact, I think Johanna has got a few choice words for uh, this article. You're listening to New Abolitionist <laughs> Radio with Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and Johanna Nalaya. We'll be right back after these messages. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com.
Now, let us begin with the modern period of, I guess we could start with 1956 for our generation. This was the beginning of the rise of Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. King decided that in Montgomery, Alabama, black people had to pay the same prices on the buses as did white people, but we had to sit in the back. And we could only sit in the back if every available seat was taken by a white person. If a white person was standing, a black person could not sit. So Dr. King and his associates got together and said, this is inhuman. We will boycott your bus system. Now understand what a boycott is. A boycott is a passive act. It is the most passive political act that anyone can commit. A boycott. Because what the boycott was doing was simply saying, we will not ride your buses. No sort of antagonism. He was not even verbally violent. He was peaceful. Dr. King's policy was that nonviolence would achieve the gains for black people in the United States. His major assumption was that if you are nonviolent, if you suffer, your opponent will see your suffering and will be moved to change his heart. That's very good. He only made one fallacious assumption. In order for nonviolence to work, your opponent must have a conscience. The United States has none. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Man, just listening to that clip, and uh, he is so right, particularly with the Citizens United ruling now. A corporation doesn't have a soul or a conscience. It don't give a damn what you're going through as long as it's getting rich. And we've made corporations into people, the, Amer- the United States of America being the foremost of those corporations. Uh, Johanan, our next story is, 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 uh, something I've been looking forward to ever since you told me about it. And I read some of the, uh, narratives that was going on. I was like, I gotta hear what Johanan's gonna say about this dude and his new theory about why Americans are in prison on such a high level. I'm not go off on this dude, man. <laughs> I'm not even gonna go off like that, man. We've had a good productive show tonight. We've been able to get a lot of good information out. Uh Scotty Scotty might have hit the Scotty might have hit yellow. I don't think he quite hit red yet, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go off on this guy as crazy as he is. Uh there's a story that popped up on uh slate.com um, what day did this originally come out? This, uh, this came out on the 6th. And I've been since the 6th when I first read it, I put it in the move to abolish 21st century slavery, uh, group on Facebook. I posted it and I just simply asked everyone, you know, can anyone just help me understand what I just read? Cause the name of the story is why are so many Americans in prison? And it's a uh, subtitle, uh, 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 a provocative new theory. And it's about this, professor from Fordham uh Fordham Law School, Fordham University Law School, named John Pafaf, and I hope I butchered his name. <laughs> um he put out this report that is saying that um he's he details, you know, the basics of the of the population increase or whatever, a fivefold 
from 1980 until 2009 from about 320,000 inmates to 1.62 million. Um, and you know, we know now we're, we're up closer to 2.4 million and, uh, private prisons are hiding a lot of these, um, jails. I mean, we talked about 20 million people going through the system itself of arrest to jail to, you know, whatever they end up going through the system and end up on probation or parole or in prison. So this is a huge number of people in the country that are affected by this as we report week in, week out. And this guy basically just sums it up to say that uh, the war on drugs uh, angle that like we take here on this program and that several others that are in the, in the, whether it's abolitionism movement or uh, prison reform or uh, right on crime, the, the conservative group that's gained a lot of attention with a uh, Newt Gingrich even in, involved, uh, all of them pointing to the war on drugs as being the, you know, obviously the key factor to why so many people ended up going to prison after 1985 or so suddenly everybody started going to prison, the height of the crack years, and it's just continued on from there. And this guy's whole theory is that no, it's really not the war on drugs. Uh, that, that would be a, a failed effort if you tried to, to, uh, shut down the war on drugs. You would really only let, end up letting out a few thousand people because is by his numbers, 80 to 90% of the people that are in prison are going there for violence, committing violent acts, and, and they ultimately deserve to be there for the violence that they've committed. But what he's overlooking is the fact that <clears throat> so many laws have been put on the books uh, in the, during the war on drugs that have to do with hyper-criminalizing drug possession itself. Um, you can easily have a, a possession of a small amount of marijuana turn into a, a violent felony charge if you have a pocket knife in that in the pocket where the, the cop frisks you and finds a dime bag. Now suddenly you are a violent criminal. But we all know that really you just had some weed on you. So you still qualify for our definition of nonviolent drug related offenders, which make up, we've heard estimates as high as 80 to 90% of the people. Just in a federal resisting arrest charge can take it to the next level. Right. Well, yeah, especially now that uh, New York is talking about making uh, resistant arrest a felony. Mm-hmm. So these are, these are the little things that this guy is deliberately overlooking to try to make a case. And say, uh, he, he says at one point, if you released every person in prison on a drug charge today, our state prison population would drop from about 1.5 million to 1.2 million. Now, first of all, I'm fine with getting uh, between 1.5 million to 1.2 million is about 300,000 people. So that would be a good place to start. Go ahead and pop out 300,000 people that are there. If Those are probably people that, let's just say, uh, just had a bag of weed on them, had a joint on them. Or whatever your drug of choice is. The guy had a, what, I mean, he's an adult. He can do what he wants to do. It's not worth spoiling, uh, spending $40 billion a year to run the, the, the prison system. Just the drug aspect of the prison system. It's not worth the jobs that are lost to prison slavery. It's not worth the people that are getting beat, raped, starving, showered to death. Baked to death, maced to death. It's not worth any of that. So yeah, I'll take that 1.5 to 1.2 million reduction of, is the, is, that he's talking about. But to show you how ridiculous what he's saying is, the numbers that are available, and I'll post these links in the group. Even if you're talking about violent offenders, 
According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, over 50% of even violent offenders who are going to state prisons are also themselves admitted drug users. 63% of them have been violated before for some drug offense. So that's telling you the people that are using drugs need help. And when they don't have money to get drugs, they may steal some property. They may break into somewhere. And now these are violent offenses, but their core problem is still drugs. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Johan, and wait a minute. That last article we said said all of that was like 40% down, you know, uh, breaking mm-hmm. into people's houses and, and all. Yeah, I'm sorry, but yeah, you know, we heard, just heard the latest crime statistics have either been cut in half for violent so-called crimes or, mm-hmm. you know, a 40% drop in, you know, property crime. So continue. Well, I mean, that's just like everything else. I suppose that's going to depend on where, you know, these people get their numbers from. Uh, I'm looking at reports from justicepolicy.org. I'm looking at the Bureau of Justice Statistics, which is uh, uh, .gov. Uh, I mean, these are the official numbers. Now, granted, some of these numbers are not because, again, when you're talking about the war on drugs, when you're talking about extrajudicial murder of uh, of private citizens throughout America by professional law enforcement, when you're talking about these things that they really don't want to shed light on, these are all self-reporting statistics. These are all where right. even though there's a federal law in place requiring tens of thousands of precincts of of police jurisdictions across this country to report, they still only self-report sometimes some estimates as low as 5%. Wow. So that's how you continue to have these, these, uh, these, these numbers that are being debated. They're hiding. What's that? They're hiding slaves. Yes. They're hiding slaves. They're hiding the crime rates. They're hiding the, they're hiding the systems. They're hiding the symptoms as well as hiding the actual cause. And then you have someone, and I was telling Max, I don't know, maybe this guy, and I've reached out to him, so we'll see, maybe he'll speak back. Maybe he will be a guest on the program, and he can stand for what he says, and I can give him the stats that we have, and he can give me the stats that he has, and we can see you know, how it hashes out. But I believe that these reports are similar to the reports that we've seen put out by private prison companies in the past, uh, by industries, you know, lobbying industries in the past where they will pay individuals to put out information so they can have what they consider to be verifiable stats. And they can have, you know, just like if you're on Facebook, you get into a debate with someone and you say, you know, some factual information. Well, where's the link to that? I mean, it's the, basically the same mentality. So I would suggest that maybe this guy, the Dr. Pafaf from Fordham Law University, Fordham University Law School, maybe he was compensated to drum up some numbers good point and do smoke and mirrors and then you put out an article with slate.com so you got fordham university law and you got slate.com two respected names and you could just pass this off like everything's okay hey man the war on drugs ain't the problem we got a lot of criminals in america and that's why we have so many people how the hell did people go 800 percent become 800 times more likely to be violent criminals only in america though in the last 25 years. How in the hell did that happen? Where else on the planet are people 800 times more criminal now? Violent. Where else? Is there any other country on the planet? 
where their where their prison population exploded eight hundred percent in the last twenty five years? I don't think so. No. It's only in America. No, you're right. Only in America. And we're dropping bombs all over everybody else because we're spreading freedom and democracy. Because these poor backwards people don't know how to govern themselves. So we bomb them back to the Stone Age, destroy all their infrastructure, steal their resources, set up our own governments because we're showing them how to be free. We're showing them how to be righteous, good, Christian, whatever else kind of you want to say heroes we are. But in our own country, according to his statistics, it has nothing to do with drug use. People just became hyper-violent, and start becoming criminals about 1985 or so, and we just can't stop it. So we're just going to keep throwing people in prison because all this violence in America who stands as the bastion for freedom and liberty and equality and righteousness for the whole universe. Man, get out of here. Well, there you have it. <laughs> figured that that would set you off, man. I figured that one would set you off. But, you know, it's just so yes, man. We said it earlier that somebody needs to call people like this out. You know, it's not really about us being an opponent to them. It's about us correcting bullshit. <laughs> you know, right, right? No, if you got your facts in order, then stand by them. You That's shouldn't it. be afraid to come on and have a dialogue about you know what you're saying. You know, so uh, I have actually had opportunity to uh, go over some uh, issues with a couple of right wingers writing for the Daily Caller, writing for the New American. But at least they came on and we had a dialogue. Okay, and and by the end of that program, I think that, you know, they saw things the the way that I saw them, you know, but Mm. of course they're going to they're drawing a paycheck and they know who they audience is. So, you know, I'm sure that they might continue on with their propaganda, but at least they came on, (laughs) you know, (laughs) cause I tried to get this one law professor to come on and, um, man, she just had like, and this black woman too, uh, at Vanderbilt, a law professor and tried to get her to come on. And, you know, and I was all nice and stuff in my email requesting her to please bless us with her presence and whatnot. (laughs) But, uh, man she she just wouldn't come oh i'm on sabbatical okay what that mean you on vacation (laughs) a paid vacation you ain't got an hour you ain't got 30 minutes you ain't got 20 minutes oh no you probably checked out the program and felt you wasn't dealing with an ignorant person who wasn't read up on the issues Hmm. let me give you all this little piece here because I, i really didn't read a whole lot from the story and i feel like maybe i just started branching and so let me give you this <clears throat> the interviewer asked him, so after all of his theories about why, you know, crime, violent crime is what is driving this or whatever, then it's pointed out that, you know, of course, violent crime reached a, a high point around 1990, 1991, and it has been falling, you know, quickly in percentages every year since by everybody else's numbers, except this guy. He's the only one that I guess doesn't see how crime has been dropping since 91. So he asked him, so why did the prison population keep on rising after 1991 when the crime, when the crime wave ended? It seems like if your theory is right that the increase in violent crime and property crime caused by the, caused the prison boom, then the end of the crime wave should have been accompanied by decreasing incarceration rates. He says, okay, well, three things could have happened. One, the police just got much more efficient. They're just arresting more and more people with new policing technology, new policing approaches. Maybe they're just arresting a bigger share of offenders. 
but we don't actually see that. Arrests tend to drop with the crime rate, so the total number of people being arrested has fallen. The other thing it could be is we're just locking people up for longer. But like I said, it's not that. So clearly what's happening is we're just admitting more people to prison. Though we have a smaller pool of people being arrested, we're sending a larger and larger number of them to prison. The only damn time he told truth in the whole article. They got a small pool of people, the slaves, that they're going to continue to arrest over and over again. And they're going to continue to expand that pool of poor, broke people like the woman you heard in the interview, like we just talked about with Ferguson, like we just talked about her. She was from Alabama. Like, like we've Trump talked about all over the On mentioned out there in uh, California. Yes, yes. They're expanding the pool of people that they're going to continue to send to prison. That's the only time he told the truth in this whole article. And what he said right there to tell the truth does nothing to address what he's saying, that violent crime has gone up. He cannot substantiate that with this statement that he just made. We know that the policing getting more efficient has actually led to the incarcerations, which is our next segment. We'll be talking about the next brother that got exonerated because police technology is more efficient now than it was back in the day. So this is what we got to do here is control the narrative. And the listener has to educate themselves. So you will know what you're talking about. So when you hear it or when you smell it on the wind, you know exactly what that is and what end of it it came out of, and you know how to refute that. Damn, Fordham Law University professor. I said it last week, man. Our brightest and our best sometimes just seem like they don't know anything. (laughs) Like all of that education brought you to nothing. (laughs) You couldn't figure this out. So you're making up these weird ass excuses rather than simply calling it what it is. You're portraying, I guess maybe he's trying to put a narrative together for the other side to use. Yeah, that's in what I was about to say. To what we're doing. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I think Johanna hit it on, on the, uh, hit the nail on the head when he said this guy mm-hmm. probably got paid by the GO group lobbyists or the CCA yes. lobbyists or the police the union time. lobbyists. Somebody paid this guy to put this nonsense out. Right, right. You know, I spent months uh, challenging people every day to prove me wrong when it came to modern-day slavery and human <laughs> trafficking. I mean, I literally you know, spent months just to see if anybody was even willing, and nobody ever stepped up. Even on this show, we haven't had yet one person who could come up here or on other shows that we've talked about it and dispute what we're presenting. So here is nope. their, uh, I guess, here is their haystack and needle that they got going on. <laughs> Sad state of affairs, but all right, I'm done ranting. I'll put the link uh, on the page. I'll put the link to the Slate article on the page, and people can look at that, and then I'm going to add several links underneath that in the comments underneath the Slate link that are just statistics and other stories that have run over the years that completely blow whatever this whatever this professor is talking about. It makes it very difficult for his allegations to stand. I'm going to clean that up. We're going to switch <laughs> things around a little bit today and do our abolitionist in profile prior to our rider of the 21st century underground railroad. So while you provide those links, I'll do the abolitionist in profile. How does that sound? Our abolitionist profile today is Carolyn 
Phil Wiley Anderson, physician and educator, was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to William and Letitia Still, supporting his family through coal mining investments in a stove store. William Still, a prominent antebellum abolitionist, helped escape slaves on the Underground Railroad. He wrote about these fugitive slaves in his book, The Underground Railroad. Carolyn Still attended Miss Henry Gordon's private school, the Friends Raspberry Alley School, and the Institute of Color Youth. At 16, she went to Oberlin College, where she was the only black woman in her class. After graduating from Oberlin's college literary course in 1868, still moved back to Philadelphia to teach. In 1869, she married Edward A. Wiley, a former Alabama slave who she met at Oberlin. Before Wiley's death in 1873, they had two children, William and Letitia. Carolyn's Wiley's left Philadelphia for Washington, D.C. and Howard University, where she was hired to teach music, drawing, and elocution. Once there, she decided to become a medical doctor. After attending Howard University Medical School for one term, Wiley transferred to the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania in 1876. She graduated in the spring of 1878 and then interned at Boston's New England Hospital for Women and Children. When she returned to Philadelphia in 1879, she became one of the state's first black female doctors. In 1880, Carolyn Wiley married Matthew Anderson, a doctor of divinity and founder of Philadelphia's Darien Presbyterian Church. The couple had three surviving children, Helen, Maud, and Margaret. In addition to her private medical practice, Anderson worked with her husband to serve Philadelphia's poor women and children. She ran the Berean Dispensary and the Berean Cottage on the New Jersey coast. She also helped found the Berean Manual Training and Industrial School and then acted as its assistant principal and teacher of elocution, physiology, and hygiene. At the beginning of the 20th century, she fought to establish Philadelphia's first black young woman's Christian association, the YWCA, until she suffered a stroke several years before her, her death. Anderson remained involved in a variety of community and professional organizations. She was a treasurer for the Women's Medical College and Alumni Association and president of the Berean Women's Christian Temperance Union. She also was a member of the Women's Medical Society and on the board of Home for Aged and Infirm Colored People of Philadelphia. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Carolyn Stillwiley. Salute. Salute. Wow, man. I'm still trying to figure out what that is. Uh, elocution, uh, physiology, and hygiene, she studied. So you got a degree in hygiene. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but back then, you know, that was a big thing. There was a lot of plagues and stuff going on. You know, they didn't yeah. have uh, cures for anything back then. So I can imagine hygiene was very important. Putting in work back in the day, man. Putting in work. Who wants to put in work right now? Who wants to be? I was just looking at that uh that meme that um uh, Sister uh, Cece uh, put us all in earlier with um uh, uh, Thomas Jennings from uh, one of our previous ab- abolitionist profiles with the dry the first the inventor of the dry cleaning system right and how he devoted so much of his revenues uh, to and, ended slavery man yeah and isn't that something we have noticed in the past and that is missing from today today. If you make a lot of money, people push you to, you know, capitalism, make a lot of money, start a business. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you got black billionaires now and stuff, but I ain't hearing about none of them 
investing their money into ending 21st century slavery and human trafficking. No, I'm, I'm not hearing that. Man, but when rich, we look at these rich past, black people, mm-hmm. the rich black people are the biggest white supremacists on the planet. A Negro is going to take his money and work 10 times as hard as the average white man to spend it with white people. But what I'm saying, though, is the so-called, you know, bourgeoisie class back then, you know, at least they were concerned about their fellow human beings, their fellow, you know what yeah. I'm saying? You think, you think Jennings qualified for the bourgeoisie, though, back in that time? You think he would have qualified for the, the talented 10th to be with the Du Bois yeah, crowd or whatever? He would, yes, he would have. I mean, he made a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he had money. Yeah, I mean, I, I, from what I'm just asking, because from what I took from the brother. Well, he wouldn't have the bourgeoisie mindset that, as we know it today, is what I'm saying. But we saw people who have, have taken the wealth that they have made and then worked towards abolitionism. Even those who, who, and these were free black people. You know what I'm saying? They were free. So they were putting more than just their money on the line. Okay, yeah. they they were putting their lives on the line and, and advocating for the uh in the slavery. But that's just I just don't see that today. And so, you know, I'm not impressed when people share memes uh talking about, you know, Oprah Winfrey, you know, first black woman to own a uh, network and or or Catherine, what's her name? Kathy Hughes uh, owns a um a media conglomerate with black radio and no i don't hold these people up to be heroes or to be admired what are they do yeah okay they were good in business but are they good in being human beings okay mm-hmm. right well i mean it, it's a sad state of affairs we were just covering this i was just talking about this on my own facebook page just over the last week uh going back over you know the 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 short history of some of these black bill, you know, the first black billionaires, uh, was Reginald Lewis was one, uh, we were talking about in particular, did the uh, deal for Beatrice foods back in the eighties. He's the first uh, black business billionaire, you know, of the modern time or whatever. He didn't have that money very long at all before he died of a mysterious brain tumor. He was gone. His, uh, wife was, a uh, uh, full blooded Filipino, I believe. So he had his uh, mixed daughters and they married white guys. So now his grandchildren are basically white people and he's a gone black man. He never put anything into the black community. He said himself when he was alive, I don't look at any of my, this is in like 85 or something. I don't look at any of my accomplishments as being great accomplishments for an African American. I look at them as being a great American. So these Negroes, these, as, as my boy Damon Jones, uh, 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 shout out to the black law enforcement of America, uh, the brothers that speak so eloquently and, uh, truth to power up there where they at in New York. As he says, I call them all the time, blue ribbon Negroes, man. They mm-hmm. talk this, this crap. They just, I mean, this dude is back in the eighties about to be a billionaire and he's saying for the record, look, I'm not saying this has nothing to do with me being black. I, I'm an American. He was a, he was the longstanding, the highest, contributor uh what they call it a sponsor or whatever when you give back to your university he gave over three million dollars to harvard law to harvard university law school like as you know his gift his grant or whatever he was the highest you know contributor ever for many years and you know within a couple years he's dead and gone and now here we are fast forward 25 30 years there's no memory of him and you know remember we had a guest on who told us about how uh traditionally Black colleges are being infiltrated primarily by white yes. people now, where they're taking advantage of black colleges. Yeah. Yes. But let let me say this though, um, and I know we gotta uh, do our writer 
of the Underground Railroad and then wrap it up. But um, these people, they give a lot of money to charity, right? I'm sure because, you know, it's a tax write-off. So if they got a <laughs> smart tax planner or whatever, sure, they're giving all this money to, you know, uh, charities and things to help urban youth and book programs and even will uh, fund schools and things of that nature. But guess what? That's just addressing the symptoms. Okay. Right. We're, we need to be addressing the problem. And the problem is 21st century slavery and human yes. trafficking. All right. And so as soon as people start talking about it for what it is and stop trying to uh, mm-hmm. be politically correct and call it mass incarceration and, and this and that and, and, and no, just say what it is. It's slavery. Slavery was never abolished. Come on. And let's work towards that end of ending that. Uh, um, hundred years evil that's been going on in this country. So yeah, so I know they're giving money, but you know, is they money doing anything to address slavery and human trafficking? I would think not. I would actually like to check some of their portfolios to see if they got investments in Geo right. Group, CCA, and in line investments too. Yeah, because that happens a lot. You don't even know where your money's going. You just handed some dude and say, "Invest this and make me money." And you have no idea, right. like the teachers union with a hundred million invested in the construction of private prisons. You hit it on the head right there, Max. And I know we got to move on. Uh, that's, that's really at the core of it is at that time, like a Thomas Jennings, he had his cash in his hands. He knew he had his money in a, you know, in a, in a box or something somewhere in a safe or so, you know, he had his cash. He had access to his money. He, he was not integrated. He didn't have any way to, to, you know, to, to, to give it over to whites to manage it or whatever, or to, to anyone that would, you know, potentially enslave him to manage it. But look at our celebrities now. Most of them don't even know where their money is. They got a black card and they can use it if it's turned on. If it's not, then they got to call their person. They can, I need this money. If they ask to make investments in, in business ideas, if they ask to, to, to make investments in some type of organizations or grassroots efforts, their financial advisor is typically not a black person is going to tell them, well, that's not a good thing for you to do. Either that doesn't fit your image, that doesn't fit the studio's image, that doesn't fit the the whatever, you know, we don't want to be connected to the political. I mean, if New Abolitionist Radio knew, you know, some celebrity personally, you think his lawyer is going to let him give us money to, on the table where it could be seen that he gave us something to help run Black Talk Radio Network, to help set everything up where we could do this without any concern about any equipment, any Anything? Hell no. <laughs> Tell them, I don't know why you talk to those guys. You need to cut your ties from those guys. They're politically dangerous. If you get tied to these people and they're talking extremists like this, your whole career could be over. That dude is gone. Back in Thomas Jennings' time, he stood for it because he knew where the money was going. Mm-hmm. He could give to the Underground Railroad directly. He directly. could give the people the money to help them put basement floor panels and dig tunnels or whatever they had to do to literally make it where you could hide people. And, and he could do all those things with his money right now. We're trying to help, but hopefully somebody will hear this and, and try to hook us up. But I mean, what do you do? How, who do you give it to now to really make a, a, an effective blow to this system? Who could you give it to and still be a star? Give it to Scotty Reed. <laughs> Give it to Scotty Reed. I'm trying to tell you, dude. Yeah, it would work. That would be the good thing to do. But what Scotty Reed does on fifty dollars, if he had 
a million dollars, the world would change. You, they the they could drop it off in paper bags. <laughs> they ain't got to write a check or nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? They Man, they know how to finagle some stuff now. Come on. You know what I'm saying? But I get what, what Johan is saying. You know, the things that we talk about on this network, not mm-hmm. just this program, but this network, the thing, they're, con- we're considered militants. We're considered controversial. You know, how dare those niggas talk about self-defense, armed self-defense. We in right. the, we in the age of hands up, don't shoot. You know right. what I'm saying? Not the age of we will shoot back. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but if they wanted to make it happen, they could use just like they do straw buyers and, and things of that nature. They give it to somebody mm-hmm. else to a family member, whatever. I want you to donate this to this grass. Just like they show yeah. out at the strip club. Yeah. How about exactly. you act like we got a bunch of broads on poles swinging around and you come in here and make it rain on this mug? Mm-mm. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just saying, man, there is too much money in black hands for yeah. us not to be seeing a bigger effort to overturn slavery. I mean, come on, just fund some PSAs or some commercials or billboards. Remember we were talking about raising money to put billboards yeah. up and well, stuff about that's, the 13th. That's what Amendment. we got to do, Scotty. I think that's it because we have not yet got them in line with the idea that slavery even exists. That's still an argument that we're trying to have with people like that, you know? So, with billboards and a promotional campaign, if we had that going on, maybe we could get that kind of attention from them. Maybe. Well, we're going to do what we'll we do regardless. Well, we're boycotting the, the NBA All-Star game coming up here uh, pretty soon. So hopefully that effort will, will uh, have the same kind of momentum as the rest of the Black Lives Matter uh, movement has had from coast to coast and, and these, you know, various uh, protests and marches and whatnot. So hopefully this boycott We'll, we'll shake up some folks and, 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 you know, let it be seen. And I'll post a link to that group on the new abolitionist page as well, because something has to shake these fools up. I mean, sorry if, it, if they don't like it or whatever. Something got to shake you up. When you live in like trying to live the Solomon Northrop life. Right. You know, something got to shake you up, man. Snap out of it. Well, all right. So let's move on. Our next segment, Brother Johanan, uh, I believe that is yours as well, and uh, that is our 21st century writer of the Underground Railroad, who today is John Conover. He spent two years in jail after being falsely accused of killing his neighbor with a baseball bat. Yeah. Yeah, this is a sad story. The brother, did, um, you know, thankfully he wasn't gone, you know, 30, 40 years as is typical, but really this affects a person, whether they, you know, spend a night, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to be in there for a night, a night, two years, 20 years, you know, it, it's all, it's all the same. We need to set people free and, and stop the madness. Uh, John Conover, uh, uh, I got this story, uh, from the Telegraph out of Macon, Georgia. Um, and there was also a USA Today story, which is actually a video, and it's him and his and his woman uh, telling their story or what have you. It says, uh, as a school bus driver maneuvered down a narrow street, all he could see was knees, quote-unquote, knees and elbows going everywhere. It says he stopped the bus and watched from about 30 yards away as a group fought on Mercer Street, which runs parallel to Napier Avenue near Brookdale Elementary School. After calling for help, the bus driver told a detective he didn't see what started the fight between John Conover and members of Alterese Carter's family. He did see several people swinging baseball bats during the 2012 brawl. 
At some point, Conifer swung a bat and he struck the 46-year-old mother. She fell backwards and hit her head on the pavement, the bus driver told the detective. Doctors later declared her brain dead and Conifer was charged with murder. The bus driver's account, along with several others included in documents obtained by the Telegraph through an open records request, uh, the request was filed at the pros- after prosecutors dismissed murder charges against Conover last month, including police reports and transcripts of official statements. The case, the case file is relatively slim. In a motion to dismiss the case, the prosecutor wrote that she would be unable to overcome Conover's claim of self-defense at trial due to insufficient evidence. So he's on this uh, segment right now because it took them over two years to go ahead and accept the fact that the man may really have been attacked and really may have been defending himself. And the lady died in the event of him defending himself, which was his original testimony that as they were engaged in this fight, he uh, grabbed a bat that they brought to attack him with. He was able to take a bat away from one of them and he hit the woman on the arm, as he said, she fell backwards, and that's when she hit her head and never regained consciousness, and he was just with murder. It says uh, Conover 51 uh, was released from jail January 28th after being held more than two years awaiting a trial. He had a $40,000 bond. So here's yet another story of people that are financially unable to post bond, locked away. And in his case, he very well could have taken a plea, like yeah. we've seen in many other cases. He could have taken a plea, I'm sure, at some point. And, uh, you know, played out and been serving 20, 30 years or something. And so shout out to John Conover. He's a free man now. The case was never strong against him. Despite the people uh, complaining and being upset, uh, he's free. He's back with his family and with his woman that loves him and stood by his side. So uh, shout out to John Conover, our, our uh, Underground Railroad champion. Shout out to John Conover, our uh, rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad, this week's featured rider. Uh, it's always a good thing to hear about people whose lives have been saved from being caught up in that system for years and years and years. And as you said, this is a good one because it's not 30 years later or 25 years later. Uh, he managed to get out after two years. So shout out to John Conover. Well, we're coming up to the end of our program uh, you just heard our rider of the 21st Century Rail, Underground Railroad profile and our abolitionist in profile. We had our guest, Dawn Renee, the self-esteem queen on tonight, and we went over several topics. Um, we'll be caught bringing it to a close with our final statements. Uh, either one of you brothers would like to start out tonight? Yeah, I'll start out by saying, you know, I know I can get a little bombastic, but I'll be speaking from the heart. I don't be speaking from my head. I'll be speaking from the heart. It's not good to get emotional, but how can you not be emotional with all of this death, suffering, enslavement going on? You know, y'all couldn't see the video that I was playing of that 50 year old woman, you know, uh, who they had in total extorted about $5,000 from her, um, you know, over traffic tickets and whatnot. And, and she was crying. Um, you could just see her face. You could see how it done wore on her. Um, just knowing the things that I know make me angry. It just makes me angry. You know, I don't know what it is that I just can't turn off. I can't turn my emotions off in, in the face of all of this. And so, you know, I get kind of, I kind of get 
kind of bombastic sometimes, but I mean every word that I say. There are no good cops. You know what I'm saying? If you're a good cop, then you wouldn't be a cop. That's the way you'd be a peace officer or something like that. You know, cops, without cops, there would not be 80% of these people on prison plantations, on prison plantations. A cop arrested them. A, a deputy held them in jail for trial. A, a prison guard is, is watching over them right now. Okay? So, you know, when we're looking at the fact that it's a big giant lie when they say, you know, this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. You know, there are a lot of people enslaved more than there has ever been in the history of slavery in this country right now. Okay. And there's a bunch of cowards who don't want to do anything about it. So that old saying about home, a uh, uh, land of the free and home of the brave, just another thing they like to say. It's not the reality. And so, you know, I challenge anyone, you know, to look at the facts, to look at the evidence, to hear these stories that we bring to you each and every week and that Yohanan Elias, as soon as he gets trained up, will be bringing to you on a daily basis with his new program, Abolitionist Daily. We challenge you to look at those facts, look at all the evidence, do your own research, and, for, and most of all, read the 13th Amendment. And see that big old exception clause and then come back and tell me that slavery was abolished in 1865. And then when you come to that realization, then tell me, well, what do you want to do about it? You know, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to become a new abolitionist or are you just going to be someone sitting on the sidelines living like Johannan said, living the Solomon Northrop life? That's all. Amen. You can't reform slavery. No, you cannot. You can't reform lynching. You can't reform slavery. You can't reform rape. You can't murder, kidnapping, terrorism. You can't reform these things. You, you, You just, you flat out, you cannot. You have to stop these things. You're either being raped or you're not. You're either being murdered or you're not. You're either being kidnapped or you're not. There's no middle ground in there. Who's who? Who do you want to send out there to be the the halfway rape people? Since you don't want to stop slavery, who do you want to who do you want to sacrifice to to be the the, the halfway starved to death person? Who do you want to put in the shower at 180 degrees for 45 minutes? Maybe maybe you don't do a whole hour. Maybe you don't do an hour and a half and boil their meat all the way off their freaking bones like Darren Rainey. Maybe you just put a whole entire one can of uh, of of mace, like uh, Randall uh, Jordan Randall uh, uh, Pearl. Maybe you just want to take a half a can of mace and, and and halfway die. They can revive you though. You don't die all the way. Maybe you want to be put like Jerome Murto in the in the in the cell and have all the windows and the doors and the vents sealed off and the furnace turned up till you start baking to death. But instead of baking you all night. Maybe maybe we could put your child in there and just bake him for you know maybe thirty minutes would be good. He'll he'll be okay. He'll survive because you don't want to stop slavery altogether. You you want to reform it. You you want to. Yeah, it's not so bad. You know. I mean, it's it's my job. I, I make fifty thousand a year. I got my student loans. You know. I I I paid money for this degree. I've been waiting all my life to get a job like this. I I want to go buy my Harley next year. I'm putting the kids through college with this slavery job I'm doing, this slaver job I'm doing. 
So you don't want to end it. You want to survive off of it. You can go to church on Sunday and be like everybody else. Your car's clean, bought with slaver money. Your suit's clean, bought with slaver money. Pastor give a good sermon that ain't got nothing to do with slavery. He ain't talking about that. You good in the eyes of God. I'm a friend of God. We're going to say, I'm a friend of God. When God loves me and the blessings is coming down on me. And you ain't thought not one minute of your day about the people that's dying because you don't want to end slavery. Maybe reform it, maybe. And across the country, the people are voting and letting their voices be heard. We don't want new prisons. We just talked to the sister tonight. They said we don't want it. They're going to shove it down their throats. Seattle has been warring with the city council. How in the hell do the constituents go to war with the elected officials? These people are fighting for the for their lives in Seattle, telling these people every meeting they're getting arrested, getting carried out in shackles, fighting for, we don't want another juvenile facility built here. We have alternative methods that we want to use to keep the soul of our community intact. And the city officials, the city council, said to hell with you. We're building it anyway. Arrest these people. So you don't want to reform slavery, or you don't want to stop slavery, you want to reform it. You don't want to, you don't want to abolish this. You want to keep voting. You want to keep paying these people that don't give a damn about you. Maybe you'll care when it's you that's in there. I don't know. I don't know when you're going to care. Like Scotty said, I'm starting the, uh, the, the new, uh, abolitionist offshoot, the abolitionist daily. Plan on having that up next week and we're going to start, uh, putting out these programs daily because I got so many, so many links that we that new abolitionist radio program could never get all the information out to you on a weekly basis that you really need to know. So that's going to be our school for abolitionism. You'll be hearing it <laughs> every day. And we're going to be training you up every day. Put it in space. Daddy, we still here? Yes, we still here. Um, so that's all I got. That's my cue. I'm done. Check out the Facebook <laughs> Check out the Twitter this is radio. Check out the the uh, YouTube page, New Abolitionist Radio on YouTube. We are all over social media, spreading the good word. Check us out. See you next week. Peace to the abolitionists, death to the oppressors. Peace to the abolitionists, death to the oppressors. I'm not. I don't have a lot to say. As I said, my heart hasn't been into it today. I've been thinking a lot about Legacy Leonard, our former co-host here for 2013, and her and I are really close friends. We go back a long, long time. She's got a, a book she wrote called I Have Come Forth by Day. I put it on the uh, New Abolitionist page. Please pick up the book and support the family. They've got a lot of costs to deal with right now. Who knows? You might just love her poetry and, you know, take the chance. So if you can pick up the book, pick it up. Uh, I want to thank Dawn for coming out today and telling the story of what's happening out in California and also what she's doing with child trafficking and teenage uh, prostitution and uh, the other good works that she's doing behind the scenes as well. Always. Thank you, Don. Indeed. Indeed. There's a, a lot of PD poets out there that are working hard, trying to make a difference, and you never hear of most of them. That's just how we roll. I just happen to be the big mouth that's on the radio. But there's a lot of people just like me out there doing the same thing. And I've told people now on a daily basis who have called me and asked, you know talked to me about all of these problems, to keep hope alive. There's some hope left. Believe that change will come and then work towards it. But it's not going to come unless you change your mind first. And I know a lot of our listeners have already done that, and I commend you for that. That is a beautiful thing. You probably feel like a new person, and it pisses you off. You may even go through the entire five stages of depression that come of mourning 
that, you know, come after losing a person, once you start realizing what it is you're dealing with, we'll be here to help you with all of that. We'll be here to educate you. We'll be here to offer you alternatives to show you people who are doing things so they can inspire you to do something. And really that's the only thing that matters at this point is what are you going to do? Like Dawn said, but if you do anything, please remember to keep this thing in mind, that abolition, the end of slavery, no reform, abolition, abolishing slavery in the United States is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know peace. Peace. The U.S. has the fastest growing prison population in the world. Well, it's like the real estate boom. <laughs> Except, of course, the problem with real estate, you eventually run out of land. You never run out of people to put in prison. System of America, the U.S. military, the FBI, CIA, ATF, ICE, Homeland Security, and the neighborhood police. They sold three forces Mexico in 1848, abducted Africans and then sold them slaves. Genocide against the natives, and for that we give thanks. Wrote their history books and made themselves great. There's two types of crime. Power and survival. Crimes that deal with power were the ones you might not find, dude. Look at the trillions that were stolen from the Wall Street bailout. And Mumia still stuck in a jailhouse. They sick. They killed little Lyanna Jones. He was seven years old. Man, the story gets old. Look at the wars. Look at colonialism. Look at the trade agreements and the profits from their prisons. We know the aggressor. They train them in Georgia. At the School of the Americas. Where they teach torture. My father's a survivor. He talks about it often. Thousands disappeared, no funeral, but a coffin. And I can't harm them without the charge of terror.